Welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by predictive content analytics software, Inbound Writer, and online proofing and collaboration platform, Proof HQ. Now here are your hosts, from Oracle Marketing Cloud, Chris Moody, and from Sysimos, Amber Nasland. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us on the first ever Content Pros podcast. I'm here with my co-host Amber Naslin from Sysimos. This is Chris Moody from Oracle Marketing Cloud. And today we're joined by the one, the only, Jay Bear. Jay, I... What do I? I don't even know how to start about Jay because Jay is technically um, and affectionately known as my book spouse. So for those of you who don't know, Jay and I co-wrote the the, uh, the Now Revolution back in 2011, I think, or 2012, whenever we wrote that stuff. And um, Jay and I have been friends and colleagues in this space for a really long time. And I've enjoyed watching Jay rocket to the top of the charts as far as content marketing expertise and pros. So I feel a little out of place being the one to interview him because I think it should be the other way around here. But uh, anyway, Jay, thanks so much for taking all the time to join us and welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Amber. Mr. Chris Moody, delighted to be here. Congratulations on the awesome new Content Pros podcast. Not only excited to be here on episode number one, but really delighted to, to help you bring your wisdom and the wisdom of, of content professionals to the masses. It's an exciting time for everybody. And Amber, actually, I wrote a blog post not too long ago uh, that kind of did a, a throwback to some of the things that we talked about in the now revolution. And I actually had to do the math on that. And I realized <laughs> that you and I actually wrote that book in the summer of 2010. Oh my God. See, so, I had the number. Right? I Is that crazy? Been, that's totally crazy to me. That seems it's almost like... five years. That, and what, what's crazy is that I feel like in many ways the stuff that we wrote in that book is more relevant now than it was even at the time it was published. So um, talk to me a little bit about what you just wrote and what that, what that implication is for today's content marketers. I wrote it about social media professionals, but I think it will eventually apply to content professionals as well. And, and I wrote about the fact that this idea of having a, a social media manager and, and social media only personnel is is going to go away. That that instead, in most uh, big time social businesses are moving this direction, right? Where you have somebody in HR who is manifestly social. You have somebody in uh, communications who is manifestly social. Somebody in customer support who is manifestly social. Instead of having people who are 100% social just doing only social. And And you and I wrote about that and predicted that what is almost five years ago, and and now it's actually coming true. And I think we will certainly see that as well in content. Right now, content is sort of the new penny, the shiny penny. And so you're starting to see enterprises uh, build up dedicated content marketing teams. Certainly, Chris knows a lot about that from Oracle Marketing Cloud. Uh, But eventually, and I don't know what eventually means, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say three years, we're going to get to the point where organizations realize, you know, most of the marketing that we're doing now is either wholly or in part content marketing. So why do we have a content marketing department? And instead of having a content marketing department, we're just going to go back to having a marketing department that happens to do a lot of content. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Jay. And 
I feel like you've been ahead of this one too, because we're in a day and age where we talk to a lot of content practitioners and a lot of folks still don't have a documented strategy or a process. And I remember the first time I met you in person, we were having a conversation about a various marketing topic. And you said, yeah, I have a blog post about that. That's going to be out in a month. And I was so impressed that you were that far ahead of your content. You actually had a strategy, a process and a plan. And this was six or seven years ago. So can you talk a little bit to how you think marketers should be strategic about content? What do they need to document? What do they need to do to actually make sure they're producing the right type of content for the right person? Yeah, I think it's an interesting angle, Chris. It's one of the things that bothers me about where we're at today as a content marketing profession in that quote unquote real time marketing and and the just in time um, triggered kind of writing the hashtag stuff gets a lot of the love and a lot of the attention. But the reality is that most of your content that you're creating can and debatably should uh, be planned out pretty far in advance, right? You, you know, or you certainly should know, and if you don't know, you can find out what questions your prospective customers or your current customers have about your products and your services and your brand. And, and you know, the best way to start with content is to methodically answer those questions in a bunch of different places and in a bunch of different ways. Uh, I think we, we pay too much attention to the content of today and not enough attention to the content that actually answers satisfactorily the questions that people have over and over and over again about our businesses. Jay, of course, is also the New York Times best-selling author of the book Utility, which talks, if you need to know how to write this helpful content, Jay has written you an entire uh, pretty spectacular book on the topic. And Jay, when you talk about writing things that are answering the questions of your customers, um, let's, let's assume for a minute that you don't know what that is and you're just getting started trying to figure that out. What kind of intelligence do you need to gather and where do you find it? It's such a fascinating uh, place that we're in as marketers and, and it is actually really dangerous. It's, it's equal parts exhilarating and dangerous because we are surrounded by data like never before. But largely, I think we are starved for insights. We have seen this incredible growth, this explosion of software and tools that give us more and more data. In fact, you know, both of your companies are, are at the vanguard of that approach. You, you have incredibly powerful software that gives marketers data that not that long ago would have been unimaginable. But what I find in practice working with corporate marketers is in many cases, we over rely on that data and we say, well, we can press this button and get this report, or we can look at this spreadsheet, or we can do this API call and figure this out. But math isn't necessarily insights. It's just math until you do something with it. And so I am old enough to remember the pre-data age in, in large measure. And what we did back then is what we sadly don't do now. When we wanted to know what our customers needed to know, you know what we did is we actually went out and talked to our customers we sat down and had continuous meetings between marketing and communications departments and real customers, whether it was focus groups or intercepts or telephone calls or even long email exchanges. We put a lot of time and effort into actually having real conversations with customers. And I think our understanding of customers was actually better then than it is now, which is one of the really strange circumstances that I think we find ourselves in today. So my advice would be go out 
out and spend time interacting and asking questions of your customers, figure out kind of what that, what that nucleus is, and then develop software that helps you take that nucleus and put it into practice in a content marketing way. Well, it's funny you actually gave me the perfect opportunity to talk about Systemos for a second, um, and I promise I won't do too much marketing here, but we talk a lot about the idea of um, social intelligence versus just having social data, because the whole point is you really can't make a decision with just kind of a bunch of pretty charts and graphs. You need to sort of, you need to know how that data actually drives a business decision that you can make differently. So when it comes to content marketing, one of the approaches that we talk often about is making sure that the data you're you're trying to query is something that actually asks um, and answers a fundamental business question. So can you elaborate a little bit on some of the things that you would ask that drive really sound content strategy? So some of the things that you would want to know are, are the open-ended kind of conversational uh, questions that that sort of stand in for social listening, right? So the kind of things that you would use to create a word cloud with social listening are the kind of things that you would use conversationally to sort of make your own mental word cloud, right? So so questions like, um, you know, if you if you had to describe this company in three words, what words would they be? What one feature could you not live without? That, that we have. It's those kind of questions that allow people to riff. Um, those are the things where I think you get the best insights and the best information from customers. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Jay. And while we're on content creation and trying to get that feedback, it's a perfect opportunity for us to introduce one of our sponsors who helps make this show happen, and that's Proof HQ. So we know one of the trickiest parts of content creation is approvals and edits. We go back and forth with different people. They say, make the logo bigger. Is this the best photo we have? Well, you can kill all that drama by using Proof HQ. It's a slick, web-based system that allows everyone on your team to instantly collaborate on content executions. You can work together on blog posts, ebooks, slide shares, infographics, and whatever other content you're producing. You'll be more productive and more creative when you use Proof HQ. You can check it out at bit.ly slash Proof HQ. So I love the fact we're talking about actually talking to customers because one of the most valuable years of my entire career was a year spent as a product manager. And that was pretty much the job. You talk to people, you try to find out what's working, what isn't, and then you try to solve it. So that's foreign for a lot of marketers. I think we go to the events and everyone talks to each other, but there's still this stigma that you may put your foot in your mouth or the customer is this holy sacred grail that you're not supposed to approach. So what do you say to the marketer who is hesitant to even approach the customer with those questions? What's an easy way for them to get started, kind of bridging that personal relationship with the online relationship, which most marketers have? Yeah, that's a great question, Chris. I, th- I think one of the tricks there is, is making customers aware of the fact that you want that kind of interaction with them at a point in time where it makes sense. So probably everybody listening to Content Pros has been in a situation where they've needed to get the almighty uh, customer testimonial, or can we use your case study for this webinar, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that can be kind of tricky. One, because a lot of times marketers don't have relationships with the customer, sales does, and you have to go through sales. But, but also we just don't habitually talk to customers in that way. I, I was at an event uh, earlier this year with Appfolio, and Appfolio is a software company that helps 
uh, property managers in the real estate business run their business better. They're also a sponsor of the Utility for Real Estate uh, ebook that I wrote recently. And, and they have this program where they've got a customer event, right? So it's their annual users conference, if you will. Uh, and, and when customers come to register for the event, right at the registration table, they have a little piece of paper they ask them to sign, which is, hey, uh, can we call you and just talk to you about the business? Check this box. Can we do a quick video with you while you're here at the conference? Can we send you an email every week about this? They actually ask them what they're willing to do all at one time when they're checking into the conference, when they have their attention, then they put that into a database and now they've got this, this whole opportunity and permission really to have that kind of interaction with them. I think it's really, really smart. That, that's so smart. I'm actually going to remember that uh, personally <laughs> because as you, as you grow as a company, having all of those customers trying to keep uh, tabs on who's willing to do a video but not a case study or who's willing to do a case study but uh, we can't use their name or those kinds of things, um, it's kind of crazy. So that's an awesome suggestion. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit because you yourself are a prolific content producer. Um, I, I think you have something on the order of like 17 blog posts a day and 27 podcasts. I might be a little bit off, but it's something in that neighborhood. Um, tell me a little bit how you manage your own production of content as part of Convince and Convert and uh, how that translates into your client work. Because I know people are overwhelmed with, uh, gosh, I don't know how to, I, I don't have the team, I don't have the resources, and that sounds like a, an awful lot of work. So what do I do to make that manageable? Yeah, it, it is a lot of work. Um but it's it's you have to understand that that creating smart content and even curating smart content creates an information annuity that builds your business every single day uh, because everything you write and everything you publish is going to get some attention and and collectively that attention matters now you, you can't look at one blog post and say this blog post built our business or, or even one webinar or even one book for that matter but but when you add it up over time it, it creates uh, consistent attention and interest that, that generates a lot of uh, opportunities and and so we really look at at content as the linchpin for all the things we do, both on the Convince and Convert media side of our company and the Convince and Convert uh, consulting side. So we do create a lot of consulting, but I think the, or a lot of media, but I think the one thing that, that um, I have done effectively over the last couple of years is, is change the situation so that it's not really just me. I might have my thumbprint on it, but it's not really just me. So, so take our, our blog, for example, the Convince and Convert blog, which is probably the, the spine of all the things that we do from a content standpoint for the first, I don't know, two or three years uh, was only me, right? I wrote every post and I wrote three or four blog posts a week and did that for a long time. Now we do eight blog posts a week. We publish eight posts a week. I write one of them and then one of them is the Social Pros podcast and one of them is a, uh, a daily video series I make called Jay Today and it's a transcript of that. So I'm involved in maybe three kind of, but I only write one a week. And, and the less I write, the more traffic we get, which is a little bit of a blow to the ego. Um, but you have to find a way to embrace cooperative content. That's my number one content trend for 2015 is, is embracing cooperative content and finding uh, customers and employees and associates and collaborators that you can work together with to create additional content. And, and actually, Amber, this podcast that we're on right now is actually an example of that trend. So we talked about uh, creating a content marketing uh, podcast at Convince and Convert. 
But I said, you know, yeah, we could make that, but how many shows can we do ourselves? What we need to do is find some amazing people who can do this show and we'll help them make it. And that's how we have content pros with you and Chris. It's a convince and convert production. We're helping make this show, uh, but but it's your show. And, and that idea of you don't have to own your content. You just have to facilitate your content, I think is the difference between getting stuck in your, oh my God, I've got to write another blog post mentality and saying, you know what? You can be a media company. You just have to not have to own everything you write. So Jay, I, I love the term collaborative content. Let's dig in on that one a little bit because that's pretty much the reason Compendium was built, which is now Oracle Content Marketing. And I know we've had this discussion personally, but for our listeners and for our audience, everyone's debating right now quality versus quantity as it pertains to content. Can you share your thoughts on that? And does everything have to be the huge polished piece or is it better to just get some things out there that are answering quick questions? Yeah, I think it's both, Chris. I really do. And and this is one of the areas, one of the few areas where, where my thinking kind of diverges from our collective friend, Anne Handley, who I'm sure will be on this podcast eventually. Um, Anne and other people in the content world very much believe uh, that, that the content that breaks through is the content that is disproportionately uh, produced and excellent and that, that it is praiseworthy, um, that, that somehow content success is based solely on a meritocracy. And and while there's certainly evidence of that, no question about it, there's lots of examples, I'm sure we'll document many of them on this show, of content that is disproportionately amazing and worthwhile and succeeds just because more effort was put into it, right? It's just quote unquote better, whatever better means. And that's true, right? But between those margins, Every time somebody does a Google search, which is, you know, whatever it is, billions of times a day, there is content that succeeds because it is factual and specific and relevant, not necessarily professional, polished, um, and, and a, you know, a Hollywood-style production. And so, yes, the home runs get a lot of attention, but outside of the home runs, there are literally a billion base hits a day. And to me, those base hits are ultimately what adds up to content success. And so you have to have both, but I think it's easy to ignore what we would call low effort content um, because the high effort content gets more attention and is frankly sexier, but it's not necessarily enough to power your entire business in my estimation. I'm gonna jump all over a phrase you just used where you said content success. Um, I know a question that I get constantly and one that you must get constantly as well is what does content success mean? Does that mean just people that clicked on it, downloaded it? Um, How do I know that it's working? And is it just a matter of eyeballs or is it a factor of something more complex than that? So can you talk a little bit about measuring content? Well, you you would certainly hope that it's more than than eyeballs, um, although sometimes that's all we're left with. Uh, We have a a white paper that we wrote uh, at Convince to Convert in partnership with um, the Content Marketing Institute, CMI, called the the four types of content marketing metrics. And we identified four categories of measures. So you have consumption metrics, which is just what you say, Amber. It's how many people read this, clicked it, downloaded it, whatever. It's, It's how much was this content consumed? Then you have sharing metrics. So how much was this content uh, appreciated to the degree that people want to share it? So social shares, email forwards, and the like. Then you have lead generating metrics. So uh, behaviors that either 
create a marketing qualified lead in a, in a classic sense. Here's my email address. Here's my name or in an indirect sense. So content that, that leads people to take a behavior that indicates an interest in a product or service, um, maybe not explicitly, but implicitly. For example, uh, many companies have a pricing page on their website. Well, you're not going to go to the pricing page just for the hell of it. You're going to go to the pricing page if you are interested in knowing what the price is because you're at least in the consideration set. So one way to look at content effectiveness um, if you don't have an actual form to complete is what percentage of people came to your website uh, consumed some of your content and then subsequently either in that visit or a future visit using Google Analytics or, or your own preferred uh, system, what percentage of those people at some point down the road uh, looked at a pricing page or, or, or another page that indicates interest. And then of course you have sales, right? So, so did your content have a, a true impact on revenue? And that is possible to track. It requires some effort, no doubt. And it's easier for some companies than others. For example, it's much easier for B2B to track content all the way through to sales than it is B2C, right? If you're, if you're doing content marketing for Twizzlers, like you know that somebody consumed your content, but you can't necessarily tie your cool YouTube video back to the number of Twizzlers that were sold at 7-Eleven, right? It just, it's difficult to do that. So uh, it's somewhat based on the type of company that you have, but ultimately what you wanna do is look at what's the end goal, sales or even retention, and then walk it back to content and try and keep that, that measurement train consistent all the way back as you, as you um, reverse field, for example, and kind of reverse engineer it. So Jay did two perfect things for me. He um, One made me want to go eat a bag of Twizzlers. Um, <laughs> and second, he gave me a perfect opportunity to say thanks to um, our other sponsor, Inbound Writer, because most blog posts and articles fail to drive much, if any, traffic to your website. So wouldn't it be great to know just how good or bad your content will perform before you write it? Inbound Writer actually does that. They forecast how your content will perform based on real-time analysis of your site, your competition, and search engine behaviors. Inbound Writer tells you which topics will work, which won't, and why, removing the guesswork from content creation, increasing traffic, and decreasing wasted time. Visit inboundwriter.com to learn more. So, Jay, you hit on collaborative content. We talked about that. What, what are some of the other things that content marketers need to be concerned about or focused on going into a brand new year? Human resources, I think. Um, in the absence of cooperative content, uh, I think there's a lot of content marketers out there who are saying we have so much content that we want to create. We just don't have enough bodies to create it. Uh, I think that's a, an issue for a lot of companies is, is how do we, how do we staff and resource content? I think the other big piece of it is content amplification, right? We have uh, for a long time and, and rightfully so uh, relied on search and social to drive awareness of a lot of our content. Um, search gets more and more difficult all the time. Uh, and, and social has gotten very difficult in terms of, of organic reach versus paid reach. And so uh, you start to fall into this trap potentially of creating content that is strategically sound, but doesn't reach its intended audiences. And so I think content amplification uh, is going to be a huge, huge issue over the next year or so. And then getting a little bit more tactical, uh, we're already seeing it, but but I think by this time next year, this conversation will be so different uh, in terms of, of video and, and the role of video in content marketing for companies of all shapes and sizes. Uh, we're seeing a tremendous amount of success just personally uh, on Facebook with uh, the J Today videos that I create three times a week. We're actually seeing substantially more 
participation, consumption, interactions on those videos on Facebook than we are on YouTube. Uh, in just a few weeks, Twitter is going to roll out their native video product, which I think is going to be a real game changer for Twitter. So uh, you may think that your business doesn't need video because of the type of company you are, the size of company you are. And I can tell you right now that you absolutely do need video. Um, if I had more guts, I would set up my next book which I'm working on right now, uh, as only a series of videos, that there would not be an actual book. It would just be sort of me reading chapters into a video camera. Hell, maybe I'll do it anyway. We'll see. <laughs> Jay, the prolific content and book writing machine. Um, hey, I was going to ask you sort of a, an offhanded question about, um, about content. Personally, uh, let's say you're a content professional. How important is it for you to be producing content not work-related out there. Um, you know, if you're a if you're a content marketing professional like Chris and I are to some degree, um, do our do our content marketers of today need to be having? Do they need to have a blog of their own, or do they need to have a podcast about their hobbies? How important is that connection between personal and professional, um, and all of that sort of giant content universe? That's a really interesting question that nobody has ever asked me before. Um, I don't know. I. I it's guess, stumped the J-Bear. I win. <laughs> I get I, five bucks. I guess, I guess I could argue it. I guess I could argue it both ways, right? So on one hand, you would say, yes, you know what? If you're a content professional, you should be creating content uh, as sort of a side hustle just because it gives you an outlet for your passion, um, assuming that you're not, you know, 1,000% passionate about uh, about your job that you have other interests. And so it gives you a chance to kind of be passionate and create content. And then I think there's also certainly something to be said uh, for the test and learn opportunities of creating your own content and kind of doing some exper experimental things on your own that you couldn't do on behalf of your employer. Like Chris, for example, can experiment with content um, on behalf of the Chris Moody brand in a, in a way that's probably much simpler than you could experiment for Oracle, right? Because the stakes are higher and, and the permissions are different and those things. So I think that absolutely um, makes sense. On the other hand, uh, I think you can also argue that if you're doing content all day, every day for your employer, um, not doing content allows you time to kind of have some perspective uh, and, and just kind of rest your head. So I think you certainly should be consuming content all the time and kind of getting a feel for how other people are doing and what works for you. Um, but I, I, could, I could definitely see a situation where, you know what, making content on my time um, feels like I'm always working and I don't know if that's always the healthiest way to go. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time, Jay. And we love to ask this question. This is our first podcast recording, but we're going to ask everyone. So we could have some pretty cool results, but what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, I wanted to be a podcaster. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I did, I did not. Um, what did I want to be when I grew up? You know, it's, it, it depends on kind of what, uh, uh, and sort of what stage, um, of your life uh, people are talking about, right? So I will, I will go a little longer, a little later than what most people answer who wanted to be a, an astronaut or a firefighter or whatever. But I, um, all the way through high school and actually through the first year of college, uh, my uh, only goal in life was to be a reporter for the Washington Post. I was a super, super journalism nerd in high school and uh, did a lot of, uh, I guess, what you could consider to be content marketing, uh, really content creation uh, at a young age and, and was a huge, huge um, 
kind of a devotee of um, all the president's men and Watergate and all that. And I, I wanted to be an investigative reporter. That was all I ever wanted to do. Uh, and then I got into college and my interests changed a little bit. But but uh, for, for about a seven year period, uh, that was all I thought about. That's an amazing, amazing answer. Jay, I can't tell you how much of a pleasure it's been to have you here on the inaugural episode of Content Pros. Thanks to everybody for joining us for this very first episode of the Content Pros podcast. We would love to have you head over to iTunes, give us a review, subscribe, spread the word to your friends, and come give us a listen. Special thanks today to my book spouse, Jay Bear. Check out his outstanding work over at convinceandconvert.com, and of course, grab his bestseller if you haven't already at Utility book.com that's y-o-utilitybook.com thanks for joining another episode of content pros we look forward to hearing from you guys next time and please do share this let us know what other content questions you have and we'll talk to you guys next time thanks for tuning in to content pros please leave a review and subscribe on itunes or your favorite podcast listening app go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits Content Pros is sponsored by Oracle Marketing Cloud, Sysmos, Proof HQ, and Inbound Writer, and is produced by Convince and Convert. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com, the first search engine for marketing podcasts.